and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insight podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each fortnight we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter. And hello, Matthew. Hello, Alison. Good to be here. And Matthew, this is our last podcast for 2022. So I thought we might mix it up and just sort of have a bit of a bit of a retrospective on the year that was, if that's okay. And my first question in that regard was, what was the biggest surprise for you, macro or investment orientated, either way, uh, for 2022? Well, we hadn't forecast Ukraine-Russia war, Alison. That was the uh, big event that was really unknown at the start of the year. And it was that event really that tipped the global economy into stagflation for the first time since the 70s and 80s. It forced the central banks to really start to tighten monetary policy in a very significant way. It reversed three decades of a secular decline in real bond yields. And that really was the event that really marked 2022. Although we hadn't anticipated that event, We had been running scenarios around inflation um, and around a potential stagflation outcome, and it did indicate what we expected to see financial markets do, what their response would be in such a situation, and the really outstanding thing of a stagflation environment that we saw unfold over 2022 was that it was actually negative for all asset classes, for both risk assets and for defensive assets, for equities and for bonds. And that was a that's a that's a situation that hasn't occurred that we haven't seen in financial markets uh, for a period of almost 40 years. Yeah, look, it certainly was a, an interesting year, uh, to paraphrase the uh, the old Chinese proverb, uh, in terms of may live in interesting times. Uh, but nonetheless, we did see a lot of action from central banks. Um, and we have debated that this a little bit on the podcast, Matthew, but do you think they can still manage a soft landing in a global sense, Matthew? Are we heading for a recession or are we going to do the soft landing? Well, uh, globally, the central banks have let that soft landing ship sail and we're heading for recession. So we're forecasting recession in uh, the US, in in the UK and in Europe. And China, and, and by recession there, we mean a, a, at least a couple of quarters negative growth. Okay. okay, so thinking recession, what type of, you know, are we, is it a short and shallow one? Are we looking at a, a U, which is pretty quick, a, a bathtub, which might be a bit longer, or a pool, which is a pretty deep and long recession? You know, we love, a, love an analogy here. What, what sort of shape are we heading towards, do you think, and why? Well, definitely not a pool or, or even a bathtub for that matter. Uh, I think it's more going to be like a dirty and annoy, annoying puddle. So it's, it's going to be relatively shallow. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. And, but I think you're confident in Australia that we won't hit recession. Points of difference? Yeah, the Australian economy should avoid recession. Look, across the the global economy at the moment, it looks like inflation is reaching its peak. It's actually falling in, in the rate of inflation is falling in the US. It looks like it's topped out in Europe. And in Australia, uh, we've got the monthly data that showed that the uh, annual rate of inflation might have also peaked in the fourth quarter of this year. So with inflation gradually coming down, it means that central banks can start to think about uh, ending the tightening cycle. So that will bring a certain amount of relief to the economy in the sense that uh, the end is in sight for uh, interest rates and also inflation is starting to moderate. 
but it still means that we're going to have relatively high interest rates and high inflation rates over the first half of this year before inflation starts to get down closer towards uh, 4% by the end of the year. So the first half of this year is going to be a danger period for the global economy, for the Australian economy in particular. But there's a number of features that give us confidence that we'll be able to see through this first half of the year, particularly in Australia, without lapsing into recession. And, and a lot of it has to do with the strength of um, consumer spending and, and the household sector itself. As it comes under pressure, both in terms of weaker disposable income and higher uh, debt servicing requirements. Now, in Australia, the household sector has built up a very strong savings buffer over the period since uh, COVID. The RBA has told us that the uh, household sector has about $250 billion worth of excess savings built up, um, as I said, since COVID. That's about 10% of GDP. And that really compares favourably to the buffers that have been built up overseas. For example, in Mm. the US, they've also got a a reasonable buffer, but it's more like about 6% of GDP. The Australian household has also built up quite a lengthy period of prepayments on their mortgages. So uh, at the moment, the uh, average household has got 36 months of prepayments on their mortgages um, compared to sort of a, a more normal rate of prepayments, which stretch out usually between 12 and 18 months. So that gives them a bit of breathing space whilst they adjust to the higher interest bill that they're going to, uh, to encounter with the higher mortgage rates that are coming through. The lucky, the lucky country. We will we'll avoid country, that recession. Yeah. Hope so. uh, we hope so. Hopefully it's a Christmas present for all of us. You're listening to Alison yeah. Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Right. Alison, give me, I'm going to have a go now and, and get a chance to ask you a couple of questions. Um, look, given the backdrop that we've got with rising uh, interest rates with you know, central banks tightening monetary policy and financial conditions around the world. What does that mean for asset valuations in your opinion? Look, it's certainly, you know, we've had a very interesting 2022 and I think 2023 could actually be somewhat similar in the sense I think we are likely to see ongoing volatility. What we do have, I think, agreement on though, Matthew, is from our economic forecasts that you've discussed previously in relation to cash rates, uh, we do think you know our forecasts are now quite similar to where the market pricing is for the first six months of the year, and you know that obviously is where I guess broad market consensus is as well. So, which is off the back of economic data as well as central bank um, guidance. So, if we do stick to that pathway, um, that will hopefully lead to a, a calmer six months for the you know in the first half of the year, but. Beyond that, um, we begin to diverge a little bit from what the markets are pricing. The markets are pricing um, cut in the uh, back half of 2023, which sort of seems to me to be a little bit early. You know, the Fed tends to pause for a good period to allow itself to have a look at the data and make sure that inflation is actually under control and it's not just one or two data releases. You know, one data release does not make a trend. So I think the second half of the year, we may see some variation from what the markets are pricing, which could lead to volatility. So in light of that, um, we are cognizant of, you know, making sure we're looking for for opportunities, but also avoiding risks. Another one that we're looking at just very briefly, is the unlisted markets. You know, unlisted markets have a different valuation approach and, you know, we do have often assets are valued on a quarterly or six-monthly basis and it is possible given the change in discount rates that we could see a little bit of softening in some of those unlisted markets. But on the flip side, 
the income is staying up really well um, in a lot of those parts of the market. You know, for example, you know, retail centres and retail consumers are doing very, very well. We're also seeing, you know, infrastructure assets continuing to perform at pre-COVID levels. So from that perspective, I think the uh, hopefully the capital valuation will be offset um, by some strong income returns. But in that sense, we are looking to stay nimble and make sure that we are, you know, looking into the market with uh, eyes wide open. Yes, those, uh, a couple of those unlisted assets, as you said, retail, real estate and, you know, some of those government regulated assets have been the, the sort of standout assets during this period that's right yeah it's been uh, really helpful i mean that diversification in portfolios is is you know really come to bear in this this part of the market where as you outlined at the start it's been an incredibly tough market for equities and bonds in certainly the first half of 2022 the latter half we have seen a bit of a rebound but you know our property infrastructure private equity and also our alternatives provided some some strong beneficial diversification this year which was great Look, are there any other drives of portfolio research that you're looking at? I know you've talked a, a bit more about sort of longer term uh, thematics, which are um, you know underpinning or, or bubbling away underneath this sort of sh- shorter term uh, cyclical environment that we find ourselves in. Oh, I think that's right, Matthew. Absolutely. I mean, from our perspective, notwithstanding the fact that we do talk about short-term drivers somewhat on this uh, podcast. The short-term drivers are really enabling us to try and keep a perspective on what's happening in the longer-term horizon. And we do have a very longer-term um, horizon when we're thinking about building portfolios and the positions that we're taking. And, and in light of that, we spend even more time thinking about what are the megatrends uh, that might be shaping that that future environment. And I like to talk about the four Ds um, at the moment, which is deglobalization, decarbonisation, digitalization, and demographics. Now, all of those are undergoing sort of quite fundamental changes in terms of the, the shape and, and, and the background to those issues. We've had a tremendous push forward in technology over the COVID period and what that does to actually, in some senses, does actually increase globalisation and that we're all interconnected and we don't necessarily need to travel and, and move around as much as we did compared with the deglobalization concepts of you know making sure that we're you know, economies are onshoring things that they consider to be of national security, for example, energy. Um, so we've got some quite material trends. Most notably of all, I think, potentially is the decarbonisation, though, where we are many investors and many governments are focused on a net zero 2050 outcome and the energy transition that will need to occur as a result and the spend on that energy transition is quite material. So that leads to, I think, many interesting potentially investment opportunities. But also from a current portfolio perspective, we need to think about, well, where are potentially the risks that may exist within our current portfolio as we transition into this new world? So lots of interesting things to keep us focused and busy. But again, I think, Matthew, the time might have got the better of us. So thank you very much for joining joining me for this year for 2022 and thank you to our listeners also for joining us next year i think we're going to try weekly podcasts so i hope you'll tune in in 2023 and have a safe and merry christmas thanks everyone 